Welcome to the Innovation Room. If you're a business leader, a change champion, or someone who wants to feel a little closer to how digital transformation is changing the world, put your smartphone aside, sit back, and indulge in the world of software, the world of endless possibilities. Innovation is hard work. Strategic innovation is even harder work. Many companies now look at innovation through acquisition as one of the key strategies towards achieving their vision. But is it possible to acquire innovation? Given 70 to 90% of all acquisitions fail to achieve their goal of acquiring and integrating innovation, I wanted to sit down with someone who has successfully achieved this on both sides of the table. Andrew Fay, the CEO of the Brookson Group, has achieved this. And as you'll hear from our first meeting in 2015, he has always had a strong vision and ambition around his innovation strategy. I've seen firsthand how he has navigated innovation and value creation, and I'm sure he'll inspire you guys just as much as he has myself over the years. I'm Lindsay, COO at Geeks. Thanks for joining us in the innovation room. Enjoy. Hi, Andrew. Thanks for joining us in the Innovation Room. My pleasure. So, Andrew Fay, CEO of Brooks & Group. I thought to start with saying, when we first met, one of the first things Andrew said to me, and I don't know if you'll remember this, but I think the introduction when you introduced yourself, and at the time you are Managing Director of Brooks & Group, was, I want to take over the world, are you in? And I'm pretty sure that that is probably the best introduction that I could give you um, without elaborating on the CV or what others could find in, in LinkedIn. Do you think that's a pretty fair synopsis of Andrew in a nutshell? Yeah, I, I, I do remember saying that. One of the things that that the, both the Brooks and Group and I are very passionate about is our sort of strategic view of the world. We spot flexible workers, freelancers, contractors, interims, whatever the label people wanted to put on them. Um, and we have grand designs to be a thought leader and innovator in that space. And way back then, I, I thought we were. And today, we're a little bit closer to that, not quite taking over the world yet, but one step at a time. On top of that, your many business accolades, especially with your innovation growth and your thought leadership in the professional services space, as you kindly elaborated on, you've got a lot of interesting activities and hobbies outside. So busy dad of three, I hope you don't mind me saying, no, football no. coach, Coach Fay. Mm -hmm. Garth Brooks fan? <laughs> yeah, I, that, yeah, that's the one I try to keep more secret than others. <laughs> what would you say is your biggest passion in terms of the innovation space? My, my original background was a software engineer. That's what I qualified in. Probably a very average software engineer. And, and what, I, what I've realized very early on in my career is it's not the nuts and bolts, the lines of code that appeal to me. It's creating a solution. It's removing a blocker. It's doing something differently. It's creating a service that, that people hadn't had before. And, and that whole sphere of thinking about a problem differently, creating different solutions, coming up with it has just always excited me. And I try and take that into my leadership style today. One of the things I was thinking about is what have I seen working 
together over the last seven years. And one of the first things that came to mind when I thought about yourself and, and the Brooks and Group was how agile, especially given your size and nature and the amount of customers that you guys serve. I think I saw something like over hundreds of thousands of customers. Your ability to ideate and build businesses based on the needs and solving the problems. Given how active the M&A market has been, especially in the last uh, couple of years, I think it's the highest active market in history to date. You know, there's a lot going on. So the whole conversation around the possibility of acquiring innovation is really interesting. And I thought you'd be a perfect candidate to talk about that with us today because you've had experience at both sides of the tables. But before we do, a bit of an icebreaker. We're in the innovation room and you can invite three other people to this innovation room, dead or alive. Who would you invite? And why? Um, probably the the most obvious one and and predictable one. We definitely have to invite Steve Jobs. I think I'd I'd also like to invite James Dyson. I really like how he's took something so mundane and boring as the vacuum cleaner and made it an aspirational item that that we all pay far more than we should for, which is which is quite good. And then I'm going to invite somebody completely off, John Lennon, just because I think it could be very boring if we just had two products guys in there. So I'd have John Lennon in there just to ground us all and think about stuff from more from a social perspective. So yeah, they would be the three off the top of my head. I'm trying to think what ideas or discussions would happen with that group. And I can imagine that it would probably end up in a product and uh, a song and a brand. Probably um, John and I drinking red wine while they obviously <laughs> invented something. I think it's probably more likely to be the outcome, but, but it would be an interesting dinner nevertheless. So I'm going to throw a two-parter at you. So what do you look for in acquisition on either side of the table? And then the part two is, does innovation play a factor? When I think about acquisition and, and us acquiring businesses, a very simple sort of methodology. So does it bring a different route to market for the customers that we're looking to acquire? Does it bring new products and services into the business for the customers that we service? or does it bring in new technology and innovation that we don't have, which allows us to accentuate value from the existing base? And so it is very much about, I suppose, as a fourth, which is sometimes you just buy volume of customers. But I guess in the context of what we're discussing here, innovation and in particular technology is something that, that would be in the top three reasons for me to acquire a business. And we have done that with two of the businesses that we have bought. They have had particular products and technology wrapped around them that delivers the service in a way that is innovative in the market. We've been able to integrate that into the group and then extrapolate those benefits out over the existing customer base. In terms of integrating the integration, what would you say is the biggest thing you look for in that aspect of the acquisition? Yeah, I mean, integration's really hard and really complicated. And if you are not careful, you can end up destroying the value of the asset that you're acquiring by by how that's integrated. And I think that any good acquisition starts with almost a six-month do-no-harm period. And one mustn't always assume that you're always best. And so just to sort of get to know each other and for us to observe the target company and for them to observe us and for us to then sort of work through line by line where the synergies are, where the opportunities are, where the where the differences are 
And then when you look at those differences, think about them from a financial impact, from a cultural impact, from a scale and a pace impact. And when you put that into the context of innovation, especially from a technology perspective, sometimes it can actually stifle innovation because you spend so much time trying to integrate those synergies and that you actually remove the brain power, the thinking away from new and exciting opportunities as well. Undoubtedly, we look to acquire businesses because they bring something new to the table. And then we quickly try to decide over that six month do no harm period, how we will integrate them. And sometimes we decide that Actually, you know, other than shared service integration, it works well keeping them separate because that's what the magic is. And, and that's that's the innovation that we were looking to acquire. I like that line where the magic is. How do you feel being on the other side of the table? So obviously I have some bias being part of your innovation strategy over the past few years. But being on the other side, when people are looking at your innovation, how has that driven these discussions forward for you? Or not. Yeah, no, it's, it's hugely so. Some exciting news hot off the press by the time this podcast is aired. The Brookson Group will have been acquired or partnered with a business called People 2.0. And in simplest form, they are an international provider of EOR and AOR solutions, the flexible workforce. And, and that basically means in the sort of English translation of that, they help contractors, whether they're employed or self-employed with all the services. And we were targeted specifically because of our technology and innovation. So the first thing, the human reaction is, it's extremely flattering when you pop up on a global radar from the innovation that, that you have completed, you know, in terms of how we built our service and technology infrastructure and tried to Try to revolutionise a pretty old-fashioned sector. You know, accountancy, legal, financial services aren't the most sexiest industries. They're almost outputs of deciding to be self-employed. Nobody, nobody jumps out of bed and says, "I'm going to be the next Richard Branson because I have a passion for P&L and balance sheets." They unfortunately have to deal with P&L and balance sheets because they decide to be an innovator and to set up on their own. And our ethos has always been. How do we take all that hassle away? So to allow those people to continue to be great at doing what they do, um, rather than get bogged down into the mechanics of law, insurance, uh, financials. And so our innovation over the last 20 years has focused on that specific question. How do we make people feel safe? How do we allow them to scale their own businesses? And how do we take all that hassle away from them? And so to be on the other side of somebody saying, you are completely unique in what you do, and we and entered into a conversation, both to continue to drive and grow in the UK market, but to take that innovation to be a centre of excellence globally was, a, was extremely flattering. And both from a acquirer and an acquiree, it can have a significant impact on valuation as well. You know, there are businesses that will sell for certain multiples based on historic deals that have happened. And, and a traditional accountant may may just have two, three times the, the EBITDA value of that business, where when you know we would position ourselves as a technology-enabled service provider for the entire flexible workforce, and we have an algorithmic backbone and AI helping them predict their investments, their risk management, their profiling of the workers. And then we also service the the corporates, which is where you and I first met, where we were 
we flipped to the other side of the supply chain and said, as well as helping those individual freelancers, let's help the big corporates who want to engage those freelancers as well. And so, yeah, it's it's absolutely integral to one, standing out from your competition to attract the attention anyway, and two, driving a valuation that's different from what you would expect in the market. Tech multiples, innovation multiples are much higher than than, than standard ones. You, you touched on an important question, which is how innovation impacts the company valuation. Touched on that in terms of multiples, but what has your experience been, obviously, on both sides and how you're having that discussion? And maybe for our audience, if you could unpack that a little bit, it would be quite helpful. I, I will, and I will do it in the specifics of some general accountancy that hopefully everybody will understand. So the high street accountants are prime to be left behind. The traditional world of selling your time at a premium in a service where you walk up to somebody and say, can you be in my accountant? And they disappear into a hole and then you receive two bills, one for the, the tax man and one for their services. And nobody knows that 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 is prime for innovation. There are brands on the TV now like Sage and Free Agents and Zero, And there's lots of cool people with beards and trendy outfits that say, hey, we've got some technology and we've got some innovation that will help revolutionize your business. You don't need that old high street accountant now, but you do, you know, and, and, and this is a prime example of pretending to have innovation and actually having innovation that passes a diligence test. So in that scenario, just installing a piece of software that removes the need for Excel, but you're still inputting transactions into a profit and loss and you're still inputting your expense items or in your bank receipts, doesn't necessarily deliver that tech multiple you want to deliver. So when we've been acquiring businesses, we've had many, many businesses position themselves towards this tech-enabled digital enterprise. And when you lift the lid on that, they're simply using software which requires human input and human analysis of the output as well. There's a real need to actually get under the skin of what a tech valuation means, and that's genuinely doing something different and if we were using a sage or a free agent and we were doing some exciting and clever stuff with some bespoke technology around the outputs of that data like we do at the brooks and group then that warrants a tech valuation because all of a sudden we're now integrating accountancy and financial services and wealth management and risk management through an algorithmic approach that's very different than saying if you grow a trendy beard and buy zero, your business will be a success, which doesn't necessarily mean it will be. You hit on a key a key point there. Sometimes people, I think, misunderstand, and we see it all the time. Um, and it's something that you know we love to work with the clients that come in and they're passionate about ideating and innovation and challenging the status quo and doing something different to solve some big problems and see a blue ocean instead of just following the red one, if you will. I think there's a, a big challenge in the industry where, you know, just implementing existing tech and stringing it together is not the same. Um, so I think that's really helpful um, and a good example to help people understand the difference. In terms of the valuation experience, you talked about part of it is obviously the, the due diligence. Um, is there any part, apart from the tech diligence aspect of the valuation process that you think innovation has a place to play hmm. that's quite an interesting thought so would innovation help with the, the the valuation wholeheartedly having that product that you deliver 
clearly innovating from your competition is key. The secondary part of that, though, is being able to translate and market that. There are lots of, and that was really the rationale for James Dyson to, to be involved. There are lots of innovators out there who are not great communicators, and that you have to be a great storyteller as well. You have to be able to take take those people on a journey, and you have to be able to tell them what the current problem is before you can sell them the solution. You know, people have to recognise the need, then sell them the solution, and then really take them on that journey. And if and if investors buy into that story, that's half the battle. And then obviously you have to pass diligence because you have to make sure you actually do do what you've said. But maybe that's not a skill that comes naturally to most innovators or most companies that innovate. You have to be a great storyteller as well. That's what kind of sprung to mind when you were talking about this is the part of the process, how M&I impacts innovation before, during and after uh, the whole the whole cycle. And I think that you're touching on part of it already is the strategic narrative. So what is the problem and how how what does this mean to the world and the people you're having an impact on? So maybe you could elaborate that a little bit on the whole innovation process and M&A for you before the acquisition and during and after and how you especially you have recency bias so maybe you can elaborate on what you're going through now a little bit for us it's really important to have a clear strategic goal the traditionally two ways to achieve that that strategic goal and that's through organic growth and organic building of your products and services which will include innovation or through M&A and through bolt-ons where you can acquire businesses that may be more advanced in certain elements than you are in in innovation so that's that's step one it's part of that there is a time element is it quicker to do it is it more costly to do it and uh, are we even able to replicate that that innovation so that decision happens once you're clear on the opportunity then surveying the market and really making sure you diligence that that business and that innovation correctly so that's how it helps how innovation really impacts my thought process in terms of who to acquire and why can i get there more quickly could i get there anyway Maybe I couldn't. Maybe this company is so special that we want their secret sauce and so we're going to bring them into the organisation. Or is the magic, it's the innovation in the harmony between what we can do and what the, the business that we're looking to acquire does anyway. And so I guess that would be the, the thought process I would go through in terms of acquiring businesses. And when you were building innovation within your your own team, one of the things I remember is you had a really ambitious timeline for delivering innovation. How was this part of your strategy and what was your you know strategic plan? Uh, take us back to 2015 and where you are now. How are you setting the, the pace there? That's part of my job to set unrealistic asks of the team, isn't it, to do so? So, yes, um, we do want to take over the world and we wanted to do it yesterday. And that's part of my role, really, to keep everybody's feet to the flames and make sure that everybody's as passionate. We can squeeze every last drop out of pace. And that's that's not really changed at, at all. I was say, we did it, didn't we? I think we, we were, did. it was interesting to me that it's more the impact because I know obviously you guys have gone through some interesting experiences over the years. So how did that, you know, set you guys up to succeed? Joking aside, you need more than just a steely will of saying it has to happen now. I think you need the right tools in your toolbox. I think the partnership we had with you guys was great. I think the people we had on our side were also very agile thinkers, which, which really helps. And not 
too precious about their own idea being the best idea as well. Sometimes you find with innovators that because they've been thinking about the problem for so long and they're so close to it, it becomes their brainchild. And any deviation from what's in their mind's eye can be can be seen as a catastrophe for them. And and I don't think we have any egos in that in that team as well. So that allowed us to move really quickly. And it wholeheartedly allowed us to capitalise on the opportunity that was in play at that time. It did what all good innovation does. It set me thinking about, well, what next? So once we'd achieved that, we then diversified product sets from the on the back of this. We then acquired businesses on, on the back of it as well. So yeah, it, it, we did do it. You know, it's probably probably worth a moment to, to celebration that we we did do it, and we've continued to work together in that space of innovating. But it is a real, it's very important that you have the right people working on that with the right mindset. So, do you think it's possible to acquire innovation? Wholeheartedly, it is. Yeah, and it's a very very sensible strategic narrative to undertake. It's also equally as easy to destroy that innovation if you're you're not careful so i guess my my closing thoughts on that are yes make sure you don't inadvertently destroy the innovation through clumsy acquisition tactics or clumsy integration thank you for joining me in the innovation room today um it was really great to get your insight on a very active m a market from someone hot off the presses from both sides of the table well, thank you for having me i i really enjoyed the conversation as you said it's We've been active and we are currently just finalising um, our new partnership with our shareholders as well. So that that's great. I guess an overarching statement that I'm always interested in listening and speaking to people who believe they have an innovation that can help the flexible workforce. And if there's anybody out there listening to this thinks they have something, then you can find me on LinkedIn or contact me directly through the Brookson Group. I'd be more than happy to spend hours and hours chatting and talking about how we might be able to work together. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the Innovation Room. Want to learn more about what we do? Or want to be our next guest? Head over to the Geeks website, www.geeks.ltd. We look forward to welcoming you again soon.